What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Rico's Watches podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and I'm joined today by a very interesting friend of mine who's been a fan of the show for a long time and has an incredible Instagram page where he does some amazing work for the watch community. Uh, a, a good friend that I think everyone should get to know, Scott from uh, Watchistry on Instagram. How's it going today, Scott? It's going great, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, like I, you know, people will probably be familiar with your Instagram page, which has a quite the large following, as well as your books that you have published over the last couple of years, uh, the, the two most prolific ones being uh, Marine National, and uh, I believe it's, you have a book about ZRC watches as well, too. And uh, what a fantastic, what a like what a fantastic uh, resource and reference material for the community to have. The stories in it, the photos are absolutely fantastic. These are uh, some incredible uh, works. That you've created and just in chatting a little bit off camera you do this completely by yourself you're a one-man show yeah uh it's it, like like your podcast it's a labor of love uh and it's uh i mean put my heart into it and basically for the books uh i, I ended up making the book that that i wanted that i wish had been out there when i first started getting into this and mm -hmm. I, I couldn't find it so i'm like well i guess i gotta make it that's exactly so. that's exactly the story for the show. It's you find that you find that sort of, you know, that vacuum or that need for something in in the community, and you know, no one else is doing it, so you just kind of take it on yourself. And I mean, you clearly have the skill sets to facilitate uh, creating a resource like this. This is you know, it's so uh, detailed, and and it strikes the balance between being a technical guide and a catalog while also telling really really good and engaging stories. And I love that you know, there's partner stories in here that. Um, you know, you really incorporate yourself and your own story a lot into the book as well, which I think is tremendous because you kind of get to go on a bit of a learning journey uh, with you as the author. It's not just a, a cold manual, which is something that I found really, really interesting. But before we get into all the, the book yeah. stuff and the watch stuff in that sense, we got to start off, you know, with the classic, the usual, the uh, the required at this point uh, wrist check for the show. What's on the wrist oh, today, Scott? Okay, this is a uh, gold plated Eterna Contiki in the 60s and it was tough to pick which watch to wear on your show take it goes so many different ways because mm -hmm. you have so many different threads but this one uh has a little cherry on top actually two uh it's stamped Burks which nice. Burks was the uh exclusive retailer for Eterna in Canada and I, I think you have some affiliation with Canada yeah uh, cool. on the back there's an engraving uh on this watch uh, it says to Carmen love Gertrude 1963 and it's those stories that just pull me in so I had to find out who the heck is Carmen and Gertrude whose watch mm -hmm. was this because I, I found this on eBay um, and it comes from Canada a place called Moose Jaw oh um, it's it's not far from where I live <laughs> and yeah and uh, I found an obituary for Carmen the the previous owner of the watch and you know he lived up there his life met his wife Gertrude and this was a gift probably after about 20 years of, of marriage for them wow that's an incredible story and one that you know strikes not too uh, not too far from home that's wow and so do you know how the watch ended up on on eBay or, or for sale or how it kind of changed hands or no I, I asked the uh, uh, you know on eBay it's like it's a mixed bag you have no idea what you're getting and I love that I love mm. the unpredictability sometimes it's just you you get a wealth of information just by asking and whatnot and actually uh, when I 
a little bit of a dietary. So saw this watch. It's awesome. I, I went for it, but I was too late and I missed it. And so I messaged the seller. I was like, Hey, just if there's any chance, like this person doesn't pay, like, hmm. please sell this to me. And uh, it sure enough, the, the winner didn't pay and they reached out to me. And, uh, and then, so I got the watch and I asked like, what, where'd you get this? And I think they said they found out like, is there either an estate sale or like kind of a thrift store kind of situation? Hmm. Um, and, uh, so they didn't really know anything more, but then I was able to, to link up with the, uh, the obituary. Well, that's a, that's a, a, a match made in heaven, I suppose. Yeah. Right. I mean, to be able to, you know, the, the, the other seller not paying and the watch then going to someone who's like an enthusiast collector, that's going to actually flush out the story. I mean, that's what I love about, um, you know, the vintage collecting and, and a lot of the people in the community that, that, you know, really dive into the stories behind the watches themselves. Like, you know, what are the chances that watches like that are going to end up in, yeah. in like a collector's hand that actually cares enough to do that kind of research. And I think it's tremendous that, uh, you know, you were able to do that. I mean, you know, it's not like the sexiest story of all time, right? It's not, you know, it wasn't gifted on the battlefield between, dying, <laughs> you know, whatever, it didn't take a bullet in Nam or whatever, but it's a story of real people and real watches. And you know, yeah. you know why it was bought you know who it went to and the reason for it. And you're able to track its history to a certain degree up to yourself, which I think gives it a, a, a tremendous pedigree. I mean, the, that story in itself is still, you know, a wonderful, wonderful story to have. So, and yeah, I, as a collector, I felt like, I'm like, I will give this watch a good home. Yes. Like, please sell it to me. I don't want this to end up on the street, you know, get mixed up with some bad watches or something, you know. Exactly. So. And that's exactly <laughs> it, right? Is giving these watches a good home and, and sharing their stories, which is something you did incredibly well is sharing stories in your book, Marie National. So um, before we talk about the book specifically, let's talk a little bit, a little bit about where watches began for you. You know, we, again, chatting yeah. a little bit off camera, you found watches a little bit later in life. So yeah. let's talk about that. Tell us where it all began and kind of your journey up to, you know, uh, creating watchistry and, and creating uh, resource books for people. Yeah. Uh, so as a kid, I, I liked watches, but like at some swatches, a cool uh, gotcha, a little dive watch. Um, and then uh, I, I wear a watch, you know, a Kenneth Cole or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. and then I just took kind of took a break from watches for a while. I wasn't really in a collector mindset, but I pretty much would always have a watch on. Um, I took a break. And then at some point I, I was turning 35 and I was like, okay, I need a real watch now. And I'm just like, I don't know why just something came out. It was like, okay, it's time. And so I started looking around, just uh, surfing the web, trying to educate myself. And pretty quickly I found that I, the watch I wanted, which was uh, an, an Explorer 1016. Uh, and I was really hooked on, it had to be a Tiffany stamped 1016 from my birth year, 1977. That's just nice. what I want. So I'm a fan of birth year watches. I know some people are like, you know, but anyway, so I, I went on, on this mission to find it. And, uh, that led me to, to learn a few things. One is like, you know, okay, well, what year is the year of a watch, right? Is it the year it's made? Is it the year it was sold? Sometimes the movements and the case are made different years. So I need to be a little bit more flexible. And eventually I did find uh, that a, a 1974 Tiffany Samp 1016 mm -hmm. uh, Explorer. Uh, it, but in the process, as I started researching, 
I came across Hodinkee and that was in the early days, this is 2012, 2013 of Hodinkee. And uh, in one of those um, days where I was researching, I came across this article called Just Because a Tudor Submariner Issued to the Marine National. And it had this like rad photo of a Tudor sub on top of some like this like receipt kind of government paperwork. I'm like, what the heck is that? It looks awesome. And uh, that just like, I'm like, I got to know more about this. It was so cool. That was a military watch. And then you knew a little bit more. It actually kind of had like a some documents with it. Mm-hmm. So you can know a little bit more. And then not long after, Hodinkee followed up with like this like uppercut of a video with Graham Fowler, who's like this preeminent military watch collector. And it's called the 13 mil subs of Graham Fowler. Incredible video. This was like a pre-talking watches video for them. And he goes through this, this crazy collection of mil subs. And then I was totally hooked. And I just had to go and get my, my first um, Marine National watch. And uh, that led me to reach out to the community, which is like, it's so awesome. The watch community, as you know, mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start. So I just messaged the, the, the guy who looked like he knew the most, a guy named Ross Povey, or Tudor Collector. And I was like, hey, I'm interested in getting an uh, MN, preferably one issued in 1977, because that's my year. And uh, do you know anybody? And he hooked me up with this cool guy uh, who had a watch for sale. And uh, that became my first MN Tudor. Uh, that's actually got that, that watch here. Became, oh, wow. Kind of go into it. It's a, kind of a little bit of a reflection issue. It's in wonderful condition. Oh, the, you know, I didn't really appreciate condition until later um if you can see here mm-hmm. but here's the the 77 mm-hmm. you can also see it's got this big bite out of it like someone mm-hmm. used their teeth or something to try to open it so there's um, like, like an adjustable wrench or something like a like a like a, like a pipe wrench or something you know? yeah who knows yeah. um and that's actually one of the reasons i like military watches because like you get permission to have them beat up they don't have to be pristine in fact the more beat up the better mm-hmm. right because that's like that's when they saved the war, right? Because right. he held up the watch and deflected. So, or <laughs> I don't even know, right? So yeah. this one, this one was actually issued to the diving school. Okay, uh, and uh, we can talk about it later. But it's one of the things about French Navy watches in particular is that uh, whereas many military watches just you know they have some engraving on the back, you can get a sense of oh, this was issued to uh, the. Uh, UK Defense Force, or you know, or this was issued to um, Canadian uh, military or or US, but you don't really know much more. But for French military watches, they seem to have different types of provenance available that can tell you a little bit more, like what submarine it was used on, um, which commando unit uh, might have used it, what was done during service. Like you know, it, the the possibilities are there in ways that it just aren't as readily available for many other types of military watches. Why is that? Is there a particular reason you've been able to find about why they're so keen on documenting those sorts of details for something that at that time would almost be considered not a throwaway item, but an inconsequential piece of kit? I think the big difference was that there was some luck involved, right? And uh, I might, I think, let me just pause and we'll come back to that when I sure. talk about the provenance, but just to finish out. So like I buy this first, this first tutor sub, and then 
as you may know, when you're researching a watch, like you you research, you know everything about, it, and then you pull the trigger and you get the one. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I still got all this like juice built up. Like I, I have this knowledge now, right? So I've got to apply it and go find the next one, right? And that led to the next one and the next one. And and then when the tutors dried up, I'm like, well, they I kept finding these other watches that the French Navy used, mm-hmm. right? And one that kept coming up was ZRC. Mm-hmm. And that uh, led to, so like here's a pretty iconic ZRC watch. It's Very cool. Unlike anything else still to this day. Yeah. Super weird watch mm-hmm. uh, used by the French Navy. So I picked one of those up, right? And then... So it kept, you see where this is going. Next thing you know, um, I look around and I'm like, I think I have probably one of the biggest collections of this niche French Navy issued watches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I should like write a book and share back to this community that's been so generous to me through even people I didn't talk to, just like forums from years ago in French. And I don't speak French. Uh, as will become apparent when I try to pronounce some things, right? But uh, to kind of put all this knowledge, that not only from the community that was dispersed, but to put it all in one place and then add my own insights from having them all in one place and kind of comparing and contrasting and, and looking a little bit closer, uh, that led to ultimately to actually the, the first book, which I did, which was just kind of like uh, this one, no longer in print, but it's basically just a, a photo book. Okay. No text at all. Front and back of the watches, just super simple. Nice. But so it was like just chronologically like, though, like sort of like a chronological yeah. uh, collection of watches from the Marine National. Yeah. But it was wow. just like, it was just a start. I like mm-hmm. to call it like the version zero dot crap, right? Okay. Which is just like, you just got to get started, right? Yeah. It, it, and see what happens. Would anybody First else... draft, first draft. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I just kind of like test the market, right? See if mm. like, does anybody even care? Would anybody even be interested? And mm. they were, you know, it was about, about 70 people were. I was like, great. And then that led me to try a little bit more of like, well, what if I add text? And mm. by that time I had some ZRC watches. And so that I made a little bit more of a technical type mm-hmm. uh, reference, less stories, practically no stories and just more of a like, hey, bare minimum, more of that reference type manual uh, that most watches, watch books are like. Mm-hmm. And then once I got some confidence in that, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go for the watch, I, the book I really wanted to make, which was Marine National. This is my well-worn personal copy. It takes on a lot of patina. It's actually a soft cover, yeah. which, which I actually like. There's mm-hmm. something about, I get the hardcover books, but like, I want you to throw this in your backpack and just take it on the bus or whatever. Just don't, don't treat it as precious, just like a military watch. Just, just use this thing. You right? can kind of tell the people that are enjoying and reading the book a lot. I mean, I, this thing traveled with me all through the United States on my uh, re- most recent vacation. And, you know, I read it in, in multiple different parts of the, of the U S and back into Canada. I mean, it's awesome. already started to take up a little bit of patina, but it's like, <laughs> it's so cool just to like, what's nice too, is like, I feel like you can, pick this book up and just about like to flip it to any page and there's something to see and something to start reading like you don't if you don't if you don't have you know hours to sit and read it from cover to cover like you can just open a page and you can start reading about you know like i got this painting of a submarine and your little write-up you have there and there's something to learn and something to see and like it's it's tough to do that like it's one of those type of books where you know you, you don't have to read it chronologically you can just 
pick it up and enjoy it as a story. You can enjoy it. It's a reference material. You can enjoy it as a cover to cover, uh, like an entire kind of journey. Like there's really so much you can do with it. And, and it is, a, it's a great travel companion for books for sure. Like I, I see me wow. bringing this on a, a few other trips as well too. Just it's fun to go back and reference and look at it. And as a tutor owner, you know, yep. like I don't, I just certainly don't have anything with the pedigree of what you have in your collection, but it's cool to kind of read about like the history and like the ancestors, you know, the ones, the, the trailblazers that led to this design, you know, and, yep. and then now even now they've reintroduced the uh, Marine National uh, the, with the, um, the FXD, the FXD as well, right. Yeah. Which is yeah. a cool piece as well. I'm assuming, is that going to be in the collection at some I, point as well? I too? do have one. I do have one. I was fortunate enough to, to get the call from, the 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 ad when the mn21 version well, came if, out if anyone was going to get one it should be you so <laughs> uh, that, that's actually what they said which i was i was really flattered they said the first we got two first one yeah. went to the owner of the shop of the shop the second one they said they, they called me and i was very thankful ah, that's um, incredible actually cool story about that that dealer um uh there it's a dealer called um uh, Fortane down in Carmel, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's a great kind of beach town visit. And just, you know, I try and pop in and say hi when uh, I'm down there. It's, it's a couple hours drive from me. So I don't get down there a lot. But anyway, this one, uh, this one holiday, I, I walk in there just to say hi. And this is a, you know, they're selling new watches. That's their thing. But somehow they have they they have a pretty sweet vintage Rolex uh, and Tudor collection, right? Nice. Uh, that they also sell there. And I walk in the store. I look down. And now I see this watch. It's a blue Tudor. I'm like, what? that is a Marie National Tudor. Like, what the heck is it doing sitting in the display case? You know, just I'm like, I need to see this watch. What is it? And they pull it out. They're like, yep. Stamped on the back, MN82, Tudor Samaritan, beautiful condition. It's got decommissioned paperwork. They're like, yeah, we just put this watch in the case. It was it came in on a trade. Uh, and lo and behold, the watch actually used to belong to Graham Fowler and is actually featured in that Hodinkee video that he nice. did. So I'm like, I got to have this. Like, so, but it was crazy to see like, the thing I collect sitting in a display case because it's very rare uh, to be able to handle one of these watches in the metal before you buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're so unique that uh, you're buying it from somebody across the world or whatever. You just, you're going on a leap of faith, some photos. Well, and, and so like how many of these were made from like during their sort of service with the Marine National, like how many Marine National tutors are actually out there? So I don't know the specific number. Uh, I would guess that it's somewhere 500 to 2000 would be my guess. Um, and, and it's rough, but I've, uh, every time I see one, I take a note of the serial number and write mm-hmm. it down. I've got a few hundred that I've noted, but there are, there are many more than that. Um, there's also stories out there about, you know, were they destroyed by the, mm-hmm. the military common thing like military is like, we need some watches, but, but in bulk, dealers are like yeah we'll, we'll sell them to you but you need to not make sure these don't end up on the secondary market mm-hmm. uh, or destroy it or they're just military equipment you need to do something but it's kind of odd because some may have disappeared that way there's stories of them having been destroyed by the little you know they're just kind of expired if you will but then you also see examples where these were actually auctioned off in a government auction 
so it's like one base got the memo and the other didn't, right? Interesting. Or yeah, so or like some some of these are just you know uh, sailors got to keep them, or I don't know if they were given permission or not, but they they ended up um, in in private hands. Hmm. So, um, but maybe I can come back to what you're asking about, like why is it that French Navy has a little bit more provenance available? Yeah, with the documentation, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think the big, the big source of provenance that makes, uh, uh Marine Nationale watches, uh, you know, that much more, uh, with the history of them much more available is this document, this kind of mythical document called the register. Right. And basically what it was is in Toulon in the South of France is where one of the, the French Navy's biggest naval bases is. And about a hundred yards from the gate of that military base used to be a watchmaker a guy named Yves Pastre. He's long since passed, but basically what would happen is Marine National boat would pull up They say, Hey, we're going to the watchmaker, you know, gather the watches, you know, put them in a wheelbarrow or something, <laughs> take it down to the, to the uh, watchmaker, dump them off. And he would, he would service them. And when he serviced them, he kept this ledger or register. It actually says register on the on the front page of this book. But it was a kind of a, it was a government book, like log keeping book that as a kind of a government contractor, he had to write down like the watch he re received, its serial number, its make, what unit was issued. You can't have the, the commando's watches going <clears throat> to the submarine guys. Right. Like it's got to go back to the commando unit. So he'd write that down for every watch. Then he'd write down what he what he did to it, um, along with the price he charged for it. Right, and actually in in the book here we have, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's a good good example of of what that looks like. Um, oh, yeah, here's a like this is kind of what the page of that, the register would look like. That's from the register. Yeah, this is a copy of the register. Oh, yeah, right here. That's okay. yeah. Yeah, this, this is uh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And there, there's a few examples of that in the book. And so what happens, so he he's writing this down for every watch. And at some point he passes away. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I may be sensationalizing some of this, but just for adding dramatic effect. But like, there's like this ultimate estate sale that right. happens where people are just going in, everything's up for grabs in his watch shop old watch parts, you know, these books, right? They end up in private hands. Wow. Right. And uh, there's about, there's at least three known volumes because he was servicing watches for like at least 40 years. There's something on the order of 40 years. And he was like the Marine Nationals guy in the South of France. I see like on the pages on there, there's all sorts of references to other brands as well too, like Star, oh, yeah. tons of Doxa, like, so the, so the Marine National, were, yeah, they were using a ton of different brands, not just Tudors at the time. Oh, totally. And that, that was like kind of the revelation, but like, you know, as I'm getting into it and learning more, I mean, this is, it's like a cornucopia mm -hmm. of watches. This is from, from the book, just, these are 34 and you can just see all kinds of different colors, shapes, yeah. sizes. Yeah you know, mechanical, quartz, digital. Uh, and, and unlike the uh, MOD in the, in the UK, where they would like commission the famous Rolex Milsub 5517, for example, 
that's like there's no civilian equivalent of that watch. It's like right. that is a special purpose military watch. The French, they bought civilian watches and just uh, stamped the back in mm -hmm. most cases. So they would just buy civilian watches. So that meant that they weren't be, kind of beholden to any one thing. Like there was no one contract. They just kind of bought whatever they needed. So um, coming back to the register, he passes away. The register ends up in private hands. And then it becomes this, it ends up in at least like two different dealers hands. Uh, and some private collector may have like a, a full copy of one of them. But anyway, now you have this tome. So if you get a watch that uh, like this, this my uh, MN77, mm -hmm. if you get one of these watches and it happened to have been serviced by Mr. Pastre, there's a chance that maybe your watch is noted in the logbook. And so to do that, it, it offers a, a few different things, right? So the logbook mentions the serial number. Mm -hmm. Great. So, okay, serial number in the logbook, that's great. If you open up the inside of the, the watch and the case back, a lot of times people overlook all the service markings on the back of the, uh, of the, uh, on the inside of the case back. But if you look under with a loop and you see his initials there, YP, that means that he serviced it and it's got a date next to it. So you, you get in touch with one of these guys who has a register and say, hey, I've got this serial number this date, you have a copy of the page. They'll look it up. If they do, you're in business. And for a small fee, they'll sell you a copy of, of that page. And you can find out what, what's cool is once, then you know, it's like, okay, it was serviced by the MN's watchmaker. But once you get that, you get that access to that page, which almost invariably has a mention of what unit used that watch. So like, in this example here, mm -hmm. this you know this is this particular page was talking about a Doxa. Uh, this this is the serial number of the Doxa, and this is the unit it was issued to. This is like a fleet supply vessel on this one. Okay. Cool. I get to know yeah. something. Sometimes, okay, fleet supply vessel, like okay, cool. Maybe not the most exciting thing, but you know who knows, right? But others are like commando units, mm -hmm. like the Navy SEALs of the French Navy, oh, or submarines. Those those are fun. They're like, I see on the page there you have sections that are redacted out. Is that yeah. those kinds of units or what's going on with that? Yeah, it, it's so when I made the book, like I'm kind of pulling this knowledge from lots of different places, and I kind of struggled a little bit with because, on the one hand, like I want to share this information, but mm. also I don't want to um, enable counterfeiters, right? Mm. You know, while there's not a lot the difference between an issued watch and a civilian watch is quite substantial about two to three X. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to make it necessarily any easier than it needed to be for somebody. You know, if somebody wants to engage in funny business, like they're going to do it. They're, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be much stop, but oftentimes most register entries I received were redacted. It's very rare where I, I, I would get one that actually the, the provider of the, the copy hadn't redacted it like they've kind of wisened up over the years and kind of said hey each one of these is a potential mm -hmm. sale for me of, of a, a copy so i'm only going to give you the one you asked for and so a lot of times they were redacted when i received them 
Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's their business to buy and sell or to sell the copies of the registry. And then it's also like, you want to prevent any sort of people from getting up to any funny business with regards to yeah. creating copies and things like that. And, you know, we've seen enough of that stuff over the years, just with big auctions and stuff where sometimes these copies are, are very, um, they're very uh, good copies, right? They can fool a lot of the authentic the authenticators and, and the auction houses and, and even the community for a long time, right? So it's definitely sort of something you want to protect, especially because it's, it's such a specific niche within the the Tudor kind of collecting, uh, you know, hobby section as well, too. Like, and so like I had a question about that, too. So like, when did you kind of start, like, you talk about your age, but like, when we're talking like, year wise, like, when did you start collecting specifically like these very national tutors? Because, you know, there's, you, t- you mentioned at one point how it started to dry up sort of with them being out there. Like, were these not really known? Or is it just like people didn't care? There wasn't the appreciation for them? Like, at one point, did at what point did people kind of start to get wise to these watches? And then how did that affect the price and availability of them? Because obviously now, like, they're rarer than hen's teeth and, and the price is, you know, reflective of that, even in the current market, right? But back then, was it, you know, would you come across one sitting in a, you know, in a, in a sales, a state sale? And it's like, oh yeah, five, 500 bucks, you know, something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's about 2012, 2013 that I had gotten into this. And it's funny, it's probably like, there was like a, a wave, if you will, of like 10 years before. And mm-hmm. so reading the forums, I, I would often see uh, this collector uh, who's um, turned into a dealer, sweeping hand. Uh, out of the UK, a guy named Jason Graham, uh, super guy. But like he was like this this uh, British guy, didn't speak French, trying to learn. I don't think he spoke, maybe he did, but I could see from the old forums, which are just an absolute treasure and a gift to the community. These like 20 year old plus forums, mm-hmm. you can read people sharing info. Uh, he, he was kind of scooping up all the ones he could. And in fact, this one had actually passed through his hands at one point, right? Nice. Uh, so he was like kind of the OG of MN tutors and then 10 years pass and then interest, I think with Hodenki and just general awareness coming up uh, and then Graham Fowler, who's like the most recent kind of like cheerleader of Marine National. I mean, the guy just like, like he's like the coolest dude, right? Like, I mean, try and dress like him. Like he's just like, uh, this video was like, I want to be that guy. And actually that was like, I, I took it as a personal challenge. Like, Oh, you got 13. Like, okay, I'm going to see what I can do to kind of one up you. Nice. Um, I, and uh, it was just this kind of like, I took it as encouragement to keep going. Um, but anyway, yeah, they, over time, they started picking up for, you know, at the time I, uh, I think the time I, I, I got in in 2012, maybe it was like nine, $10,000 or something like that for, for like this. Right. And okay. now these are um, much, much more. I mean, the, the price is actually another thing, that, you know, but you see people asking from twenty-five dollars to $45,000, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and they've gotten cost prohibitive um, for, for many people, including, including myself. And so I was able to, like, actually the last tutor MN that I purchased myself was some years ago. Um, but it's it's great that there's been more interest and awareness mm-hmm. and, and even tutor kind of re-embracing mm-hmm. it themselves uh but in terms of like finding them or getting you know the sweet deal like about the closest i mean one was walking into 14 and just seeing it there right so, you know, i mean have, first of all finding them is hard right and then it's just like sitting right there at a dealer who's ready to sell and this is the price 
and I get to hold it before I even buy it, right? And I get, this is great. So get lucky, just kind of that awareness of knowing what to look for, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the, and actually I mentioned this story in the book, like the closest uh, other like, sweet deal that I got was, um, again, I was, I was, I was hunting for these, like going deep, uh, on, deep on the web search and, you know, not just Google search, but like Bing going, you know, just kind of like, just, just to see what might get drudged up. That isn't every, everybody else is seeing. Right. And using things like image search is a great way to like surface mm -hmm. whatever you're looking for. Image search is a great resource. Cause you can often like see what, this is what I'm looking for much quicker than trying to read through it and for any brand you're looking for. And uh, I found through image search, uh, I think on Bing, I saw Marine National Tutor. Like, okay, what is this? I click on the link and it, it linked me to some kind of like very, very, I would just say like a mom and pop type of like website that looked like it had been put together at the very beginning of the web. And it was like, if you're interested in this watch, fill out this web form and hit submit. I'm like, okay, hit, I fill it out, I go to sleep. I wake up and there's like this bounce back email. It says like your form couldn't be submitted. Okay, what is this? And I look in there and whoever programmed the form put the period in the wrong place. So instead of like .com, it, it was like, you know, .om or something okay. like that. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is the email address they were trying to alert that somebody's interested in the watch. I'll just email them directly. So I email them. I'm like, hey, do you still have this watch? And he's like, yeah, hey, you know, first person ever respond to me. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I still got the watch. And and um, and the watch at that time was priced uh, like a couple years back from where the market was. So it was like, you know, kind of a little bit suspicious of what's sure. going on here. Um, I started talking with him and he's this dealer out in um, in the Caribbean. Mm. Um, and actually, he goes, actually, I, I have this one, but I also have another. And I'm like, hey, all right, let's let's do it. By then, he had caught up to where the market was, so we, you know, it was a fair price for for the two of them. Uh, but what was so that was cool that I found like found two that were kind of like buried. Um, and what what's more is like the guy's like, okay, so how do we how do we do this deal? And I said, well, I'm I'm actually going to be in France over the summer, and he's like, I'm I'm going to be in France in the summer. Why don't we just meet up? I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, we end up meeting in Charles de Gaulle airport. Uh, just, you know, it seems kind of a little bit sketchy. Oh, but on the other hand, it's like an international like, spy novel. You're meeting up in a French airport to exchange a package. And <laughs> I mean, that's really what I was doing it for. I wanted the cool story. Uh, and nobody got hurt, thankfully. But when you think about it, the airport, especially like French airport, like the police are walking around with like machine guns. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. it's it's a pretty, I mean, it was actually pretty safe. So, yeah. um, but we did the deal. And I uh, remember he's like this old school collector, just like classy, classy guy. And like, I, I had the cash like in the bag and kind of under the table, like kicked it, you know, cause that's what he's seen in the movies. Right. So, and I asked him, I said, well, do you want to count it? And he just looks at me. He's like, nah, if it's not all there, we'll never do business again. I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's cool. Like, and, we did the deal and and that was it. And so shook his hand and as he's leaving, he goes, Oh, by the way, I pulled something out of the safe that I thought you might like to see. I'm like, sure. He pulls up his sleeve and it's a Rolex space dweller. 
which Whoa. is like about as rare of a watch as they come. And and it's a ten, it's basically an Explorer 1016 with a, a prototype dial. Mm. And I'm like, that's a cool watch. Thank you for showing it to me. Are you selling it? And he's like, not now, but you know, maybe someday. So anyway, about four years later, after a lot of back and forth, I eventually acquired that watch. So, uh, but it all started with this website that was broken. So, well, that's one of those like amazing like watch community stories, right? I mean, yeah. when, I, when I look back at like some of the people I've just connected with, you know, just through the show and Instagram, and you know, some of the sellers and the brands, and and just like individuals like yourself who've just become like friends, and it's like it's just like it's nuts the connections that can come from a simple dm or an email and like how that can develop into like a longer term relationship right i mean you know this guy you know this is this is someone that's you know a world away from you and then you meet another world away <laughs> two watches and then he has another one that you end up buying like several years later like talk about curating a, a relationship there and a connection right and you know the one thing that always uh, strikes me as interesting too is like thinking about the journey of like how these watches ended up where they ended up too, right? Like, yeah. you know, we know where all these watches began. They ended, yeah. they, they began in Switzerland and they went to France. Somewhere along the way, they're ending up in like, you know, California, the Caribbean, going back to France to then go back to the United States. Like, when you think about the journey, if you're following it, like, like the old Indiana Jones, where you had the red line going across oh, yeah. the map back and forth. Like, <laughs> I love that. It's wild what the watch is, right? It's so cool to to just think about the journey from these pieces as well, too, and how they got there, right? Like, did some guy retire from the Marine Nationale and he said, I want to go diving in California, and he brought the watch, and then he ran out of money <laughs> and he needed money to get home, so he sold his watch. Like, you know, how did it happen, right? Yeah. Like, it's nuts. It's so cool to think about. Yeah, I mean, and actually, that that's actually a real passion of mine is the stories of these mm -hmm. watches. And so it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. It's actually where the name Watchistry came from, mm -hmm. which uh, I, I had set out to make this, for lack of a better term, a watch registry or like the register book, but for all watches. Mm -hmm. It's it's a passion project that someday I hope we'll, we'll make it prime time and maybe I'll implement that Indiana Jones map thing to show, but where people could log the history of watches um, their own chain of title, if you will. And I think, cause I think, you know, when I think every watch has a story mm. and I think for as collectors, like that's a huge part of the value, right? No matter there's independent of the price of the watch itself, like the stories sometimes are worth more than the watch. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's what makes it extra special. Like, well, that's what uh, makes, that's what makes it puts a smile on my face and the smile on your face and makes it fun to oh, talk yeah. about. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a piece of metal that maybe did some cool stuff, but if you don't know the cool stuff it did and you don't have the stories behind the, the, the piece and why it matters, it's just a piece of metal. Right. I mean, there's millions, yeah. there are millions of watches identical to it minus with the engraving on the back but it's the story that makes it so engaging. And really like, I mean, that's, you know, that's why we're here talking about it today, but I feel like I'm taking you on too many tangents and I want to hear more about like this for you and, and, and the journey you went on. So, you, you know, kind of bringing us back to where we were, like you started doing this collecting, you, you discover the registry, there's this crazy estate sale, these watches, you know, somehow got kind of out there. Like, how do you worry about like, you know, over the years, you know, um, these watches are being serviced you know 
are, are, are there ones that are out there that are kind of like cobbled together pieces and parts? Is there a lot of Frankens? Like when you go into a place like that shop in California and you come across the watch and, you know, maybe it's, it's a more uh, niche or special type of tutor. Like, how do you know it's not been pieced together or it's not, you know, how do they know it's not something that's pieced together? Right. I mean, he's like, Oh, it's a blue yeah. tutor. You don't see a lot of those. Like, you know, how do you know it's not just some guy put a blue bezel on it that's in the aftermarket or something? Yeah. Um, and I, I think especially for vintage, like it, you are off, like the collectors going to be much more knowledgeable oftentimes than the salesperson. Mm -hmm. at, at a I mean, it's just, it's not a knock on them. It's just like, they can only know so much and they're going to probably focus on newer watches. Um, so you, you really need to be educated. And that's where the community is just so awesome. Mm -hmm. Like if you're not sure, just find somebody on Instagram. It looks like they they're they have one. Ask them mm -hmm. like, "Hey, I'm thinking about buying this. Any thoughts?" Hundred percent, almost all the time, people are like happy to give an opinion. Mm -hmm. Now, is that worth much? I don't know, but most of the time, yeah. Like, and, and I think it's people are happy to share what knowledge they picked up, and mm -hmm. through that, I can get a quick read on like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And they say, "Oh, you know, I don't know about the bezel. Or, I don't know about the hand," and it's. None of it is canonical, like this is right, this is wrong. And I think that's especially with military watches and like Tudor in particular, um, we're always learning. So like I, I, I've, I learned pretty quick, like nothing's for certain. Like if somebody says, oh, this has to look exactly like this. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. it doesn't, right? So it's all these circumstances thing. You need to be a little bit flexible mm -hmm. when you look at these. Um, but first, it's really with the case, right? That serial number, you know, assuming the serial number looks legit and it doesn't look like somebody hand scrawled it on or something like that, then you know that uh, maybe it's in the register. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky, you can look at the inside of the case back. So you've got like kind of two data points, serial number inside case back has an engraving from uh, this particular watchmaker. Again, there are Marine National bases all over France, right? So it's just there are, and there are legit MN watches issued from to the other bases that were never touched by that watchmaker. And they mm -hmm. have their own types of provenance that we can talk about, right? But you, you're kind of pulling together this like mesh of uh, data points to make a call like, I feel good about this one or not. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit, I feel like with military watches, at least my uh, philosophy in, uh, in collecting them is that it's going to be okay if they're not like perfect as they left the factory. In mm -hmm. fact, uh, I've seen doxas with like Tudor hands. Right. That left them in. That's cool. Right. right. That's not a bad one. That's cool. Right. Yeah. Or I've seen an Aquastar that has Tudor hands on it. You're like, because they're servicing it. They're like, Hey, this fits. Okay, great. Let's get this back out to the commandos. So they can get back to doing commando stuff right uh, so they weren't as precious with it and then you'll see some nice scratches on the dial stuff like that you know these are like being used mm -hmm. they're like by a dive military commando dive school they're not bathing these watches right mm -hmm. and so it's just kind of part of the the value of them uh, but other things so with frankens for example like so like the the two tutors i got from that gentleman in france right both of them had uh, bezels, very fresh bezels put on them. Mm -hmm. they, it, they almost look, it didn't look good. And I've, I actually put it in the book. And I was like, I asked him like, what's up with these bezels? And he said, look, oh, when I, when I bought these, I took them to the, uh, deal, like the uh, local 
watched you and asked him to put some fresh bezels on. I'm like, why do you do that? But it's kind of like the polishing versus not polishing. It's like, it's not always done with ill intent. It's just mm -hmm. kind of like, that was the thing. You don't think about it too much. Um, but so when I got them, I knew the bezels weren't as they left the military. So I had no qualms in finding like uh, some replacement period, correct ones with patina to put them on. And I think that's totally fair to, you know, mm -hmm. totally, if I, should I ever part with these? I will absolutely disclose that to everybody and actually mention in the book because I think it's real. Um, you know, that's how a lot of these are. It's like they're used, parts are going to fail, swap them out and just be honest about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a great philosophy. And it's sort of like, again, like it's very true to sort of the spirit of like what they were intended for. You know, it's one thing to misrepresent it as, one, as something else, but if it's like, Hey, you know, I'm, I did my best to find like a period correct original bezels to put back on it so that it matches the uh, patina of the watch. I think that's, you know, and you're being honest about that. It's fine. It reminds me a lot of kind of like the early like uh, American railway watches as well, where it's like, you know, they're being used or they're being yeah. used constantly. And they're being serviced every 30 days to maintain their timekeeping ability. So yeah, parts are being swapped all the time, new cases, new dials, new hands, whatever. And, you know, they weren't worried about what happens to them later down the road. It's like, we need it to work and we need it to be, put back in service as quickly as possible. Right. So I, I, to I totally understand the philosophy of where you're coming from. Can we talk a little bit about, um, I guess, like a brief sort of history of the Marine Nationale and like what, um, you know, and, and how watches sort of intersected with that? Because I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about Tudor, but again, like there's been brands like a ZRC, Doxa, um, uh, Tag Heuer, like uh, lots of other brands that have been associated with them over the years, which you do cover in your book. Um, but let's kind of get a little summary of what really the Marine Nationale is all about and then how watches sort of played a role in that, if you wouldn't yeah, mind. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'll say I'm not a deep historian on the Marine Nationale itself. Of course. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're the French Navy, yeah. right? And, and naval powers uh, is going way back. That Like that was your military force. Like mm -hmm. it was been the oceans, like you control the oceans, you control your, your country's destiny. So timekeeping has been like super important because it's the difference between ending up on the right place to, for that battle or ending up a hundred miles away. Right. Like, I mean, and so it's, it's a big deal. And I think sometimes we forget that we're like, Oh, what time is it? You know, within the hour or something, that's fine. Right. No, this, this is very important for mm. like a military, uh, type, uh, uh, you know, campaigns. And so they start, that's where like, you know, obviously watches like the, the, the Marine chronometer and these like big machines to keep precise time. And so the French Navy obviously had some of those. And then if you, you jump forward into the more modern times and you think pre-World War II and, and around that time, that's what a lot of these French Navy watches or, or timepieces are looking like they're, they're deck watches. Right. So basically mm -hmm. It's actually in the book, like um, cover a few of them here. So like, here's just a smattering of, of a few mm -hmm. of them. These mm -hmm. are all made by Arcost, um, Jay Arcost. Um, but they're like these watches that best I could tell is like somewhere on the ship, there's like this master clock. It's like the big one that's got mm -hmm. balances and everything so that, you know, time. And then you've got these little portable deck watches that you'll come in and set to match and synchronize with the master clock that's in the control room. Then you go out and do your watch and around all around the boat. And so people are carrying around what look like oversized pocket watches. Um, and 
a lot of these are, are engraved on the back, Marine Nationale, and maybe mm -hmm. the year that they're issued or a, a respective serial number and that sort of thing. And the book, that's where the book picks up with some of those. Um, and and then you you also start to see some like wristwatches being issued. Uh, and these are like in the early 40s, these two Longines examples that I have in the book. And they're, they're on the smaller side, about 33 millimeters. Uh, and most of them have heavy patina on them. Uh, but they're they're also probably like a good entry point into Marine Nationale watch collecting. Uh, and then uh, it, they start to move up over time. So just keep myself like, like Breguet kind of comes into the mix, right? Which is uh, really, I mean, Breguet is a famous, mm -hmm. uh, you know, watch house. And they... Uh, not everybody knows, but Brigade, like they made military equipment too, like airplanes, right? Mm -hmm. And so like watches was just kind of like a natural thing that, you know, you've got like, if you're the military and you need some watches, you know, call up the guys you're already working with for, mm -hmm. for airplanes, whatnot. And so uh, I think that led to uh, Brigade uh, providing watches to the French Navy. And they made some deck watches. And then of course they also did, uh, in order for the Marine Nationale of the Aeronautique Naval, which is the type uh, type 20 or type X uh, model. And that's one of the more famous ones. But then you start to see like uh, the Marine Nationale as they need more, more watches. Like, I don't even know if this was a central thing. I, I imagine a lot of bases were ordering their own just needs and you end up with them ordering from a smattering of different companies. Um, we've got Triton, we've got Doxa, Tudor, uh, Aaron, uh, uh, we mentioned Aracost, we've got Le Forban, uh, some random brands that a lot of people haven't heard of, such as Luxia or um, Uti, uh, even the Tag and, and Casio as you go through the end. And, and I think that's where also like, the book ends as we go through mechanical watches and then you i kind of stopped there for a while and i kind of held off getting into i'm like i'm not sure i, I know they're using some of these um quartz watches mm -hmm. around the mid 90s but i just felt like for a while that i don't know i was probably a little bit un undereducated about you know, just kind of felt oh it's got to be a mechanical watch but i started to realize i'm like actually those are pretty cool mm -hmm. like the the quartz watches and especially uh, you know, for the time I grew up, like quartz was the thing. Right. And as you start, you know, I'm not really much of a movement guy, but when you really start to look in there, it's pretty cool how a quartz watch works. Right. Mm -hmm. And that this is its own legit technology of the day. And so I was like, okay, I'll start collecting some of those because the MN used a few of those. And then uh, ultimately uh, in the around 2000s it is when they ended up with the Casio G-Shocks, which is pretty much what I think is still maybe largely used by a lot of special forces today. Even hmm. so, um, so anyway, that, that's kind of a, a little bit of a journey. But like they they uh, they would buy these, and and pretty typically they would have some engraving on the back. And uh, it's actually one of the things I tried to capture is just like the engravings are all over the place. Like they're they're you, you probably can't get much of appreciation, but like yeah. some of them have like a whole paragraph on the back, right? Like this brigade, right? And others just have 
you know, some, some even have nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and But pretty typical is to have MN or Marine National and then uh, some sort of issue number or a year associated mm-hmm. with it. And so specifically with regards to like Tudor and then ZRC, you know, can you talk a little bit or do you know how, I guess, those specific relationships came to be? Like, was it just they just put out a contract and whoever came in with the lowest bid got it. I mean, I, I know like Tudor specifically, like they particularly in that era of like the seventies, uh, the eighties. And, you know, I think it was even in like the early or the late sixties as well. They like really had a relationship with a lot of navies, right? I mean, you mentioned the Canadian Navy, the American Navy, the French Navy, and then the Amer- Ar- Argentina. The, right. right. And, and then the yeah. UK had Rolex which yep. I believe is that's why Tudor was was put out to these navies was that uh, Rolex had the exclusive contract with the UK and then they sort of went under or behind the UK's back and said, cool, <laughs> we'll sell Tudor to everybody else. Or like, how do you know sort of how I, this I don't out? know. I don't know about that in particular, uh, but you definitely have seen Tudor talked about as a, a choice watch for many militaries. I think mm-hmm. I think the Rolexes were much more expensive, and so mm-hmm. that, that was like a, that's a factor. Like you mm-hmm. know, this is kind of oftentimes lowest bidder and whatnot. Like um, I don't know exactly what went out in terms of the contract, but um, Tudor obviously has talked a lot about its partnership and uh, potentially co-development of like making some watches asking the french navy to test out the snowflake hands and the color mm. of the dial and that sort of thing and i think that adds to a lot of the you know the coolness that this was kind of like you know uh, a made for purpose tool watch um zrc uh, they're actually they're based in the south of france i think uh, at the time that on a sea um but there was kind of like it was it was like a diver's watch i mean these yeah. are like these are weird watches like like they're like purpose-built for divers well they're sort of like i mean obviously the design language is very different but sort of the intent behind the design is very much like doxa it's like these are watches made by divers for divers to use diving and it's not it's not meant to be pretty it's not meant to go to the cocktail bar which you could wear it (laughs) i suppose but like it's it's made to be used for diving and you see that in the intent behind the design right totally i mean this is an ad from period for one of these ERCs and it goes on for like you know 12 specific features of why this is made for divers Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. down to everything the crown position like you can't even like for example one of the unique features on this is the crown is at six Mm -hmm. which is already weird but sometimes you'll see crowns at, at, at 12 but this one's got it at six and actually it's got this really funky bracelet where like you can't remove this. this. They have to bend this metal to get it in place. Mm. But it's configured such that if this crown is unscrewed and open, and it's counterclockwise, by the way, it's counter-threaded. So mm. like instead of righty-tighty, it's righty-loosey on okay. this one. If that crown is open, you can't get this bracelet on. Like it, it, it blocks the bracelet. So it's like, oops, can't put the watch on. What's going on? Oh, got to tighten it. Okay, great. Mm. Good to go. Right. So like a ton of features like that and they're they're so like they're like the divers watch so i could totally see somebody in the dive school being like hey we need some dive watches we got to get like real dive watches like what do you got these there's these local guys right here what do you think and so um and a lot of uh the zrc watches they weren't they weren't like a huge producer so there's not many of them but like they're often sold in like dive shops a lot mm-hmm. like doxa mm-hmm. yeah. 
Oh, it's very cool. So these, I mean, you see these, these relationships with these brands that, you know, have sort of started to resurface in, uh, you know, the modern context as well, too. Like we, we touched on it a little bit, but there's the FXD that is uh, resurfaced as well as ZRC as a brand is sort of relaunched. Yep. Um, I'm assuming in different hands and different ownership, but I mean, they're, they're really, they're basically recreating the same watches again in a modern context. Like, how do you kind of feel or think about that? Like, is it for you as someone who has the appreciation for this, is this like you're living in like watch nerd heaven or are you a little bit kind of like iffy about seeing the resurgence of these uh, watches in their relationships with the Marie National? Uh, as a collector, uh, the original is always going to be like, you know, a special place in my heart. But I know that it's like it's a it's a great privilege to be able to have one of the original ones of these. There's just not many. Mm-hmm. They're they're being lost to time, uh, all uh, you know every day. Uh, so it's great that these really cool designs are becoming more accessible through reissues, and, and so that that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's really great when it's actually by a, kind of a continuous manufacturer instead of just like a, kind of a new some new owner that's looking back and just trying to make the next new thing. So with the FXD, um, I have one of those, as you mentioned, and I, I, I'm a big fan of it. I love mm. it. it. It's like, it's a departure, but it's its own thing. It, you know, it, 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 I think it's something more than if they've just done a straight, like to the millimeter reissue of the mm. original, like MN77, for example. Mm. Right. FXD is its own kind of thing. And I, and I love its own quirkiness and, and I think they were rewarded for that with some of the awards that they got. Uh, I think it was like the best watch at GPHG uh, this mm-hmm. year. Uh, uh, ZRC, as far as I know, it's kind of still in the family's hands. So nice. um, actually communicate with the CEO at one point when I was making the book, it was just kind of like, hey, are you cool if I make a book? With You know, I mean, I'd still probably do it anyway, but I just wanted to kind of like let him know. And he was super supportive, enthusiastic and uh, again, he's a watch guy, and he, I think he's a grandson of one of the um, one of the Z's or the R. Like ZR is like their two names, uh, okay, Colo and Roche, something like that. So, uh, and the C is like company. So, um, so ZRC. Oh, that's amazing! That's really cool to see that you know I didn't know that it was still in the same uh, the same uh, family's hands. That's that's nice to see. You don't see that very often anymore with a lot of these like heritage rebrands or that are kind of coming back. These reissues, they don't, uh, you know, a lot of time it's just like some investor group picked them up and wants to make, you know, a limited batch of watches to see how it does type thing. So that's, that's nice to hear. Yeah. That's cool that you're able to communicate with them. And, you know, did they play a role at all in your, your, your second book about ZRC, like beyond just kind of giving you their blessing? Um, I think, uh, no, no, not, not really. I think uh, they were just supportive. Uh, I, I just kind of went in. I think it was actually, I like to think I was helpful to them, just mm-hmm. kind of educating them on their, the extent of their, their full history. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I don't know for sure, but like, I, I think it was, it was great that they weren't like, I don't know, like when you're, when you're creating something, like we talked about before, it's like, you're kind of putting yourself out there. Right. whether it's a book or a podcast or a YouTube video or whatever. And it's a little scary sometimes, you know, like people are going to hate on it or whatever. Right. And I, I just got the opposite, just appreciation and like, yeah, keep going, man. Right. And I, I love that. So. Well, that's, that's tremendous. And so in your, in your um, research for 
your your book about the Marine Nationale. What was one story that you came across that like really stuck out to you that you think would be awesome to tell on the podcast today? Sure. Um, one one story was uh, that that I like to share was like uh, yeah, they're, they're they're all so good. Um, I'll start with one, and then you can tell me what you think. Is this watch? Uh, this is a uh, a deck watch by Longines, engraving on the back SH four four three. The front of the watch, you know, it's it's a it's probably a it's about forty eight millimeter case. This is the the front of it, just kind of a blue steeled hands, white porcelain dial, just cool watch. Uh, but it, it's it's more of a deck watch kind of thing. Uh, what's cool about this one is that one of the types of provenance available for uh, French Navy watches watches is are these government auction receipts. Mm. So like, you know, not like, uh, you know, at least in the States is like every once in a while, like they'll just auction off loads of just un, unused, you know, ends up at their army Navy store, a bunch of flashlights or something like that. Right. So uh, they had one of these auctions uh, in the nineties uh, uh, for government, you know, just some of these watches. And uh, so I was able to get the receipt, the auction receipt for this watch. And I talked to the guy that actually bought it at the government auction. And what, so what's cool is that when you look at one of these receipts, I've got a bunch of, there's more redactions and whatnot mm -hmm. because the re receipts are fairly rare. And there's basically just white piece of paper, but down here, when it talks about the, what was being auctioned in this lot, it was for two Longines watches, one with the number 443 on the back and the other 426, okay. right? So I get this story from the guy. I'm like, what's up? Like on this receipt, like you're selling me one watch. It, it says there were two, like what happened to the other one? And so he says he he's in the, the auction house. So it's like a preview or whatever. And he's staring at this lot. They've got him out there preview and he's, he's admiring his watch. There's this other guy next to him. And again, this lot has two watches. And he's like, hey, that's a cool watch. He's like, yeah, it's, it's cool. But I, I only want one watch. Like, I don't want both. He's like, yeah, me too, right? So they hatch a plan. He's like, okay, how about this? Like, I'll bid on the lot for the two watches, and then we'll just split it down the middle, right? It's like, okay, cool. So he bids. The guy I end up buying it from gets the two watches, gets the receipt, hands the other guy the watch, and then that watch has never been seen you know, mm. since, right. But I've got the one with the receipt too. So uh, someday maybe, you know, Longines 426 will pop up. Uh, but I thought that was kind of cool because it's a very relatable, you, you could see us doing that. I was going to say, today, that's, that's like right? a classic of watch collector story, right? It's like, you know, working together to make sure everyone ends up happy. You know, I like that a lot. That's really cool. Yeah. And um, that, that's also another thing about Longines, which is really cool. Is like, Longines as a brand, they're super supportive of their heritage. So like mm -hmm. right here is an ext extract from their archives. Mm -hmm. So you can email Longines the serial number on a watch that either you own or even you don't own yet. You just see it on eBay and you're thinking about buying it. You want to know a little bit more. You can email, or I think it's a web form on Longines heritage site. They'll tell you for free and pretty quickly in a few days, what they know about the watch. Mm. Say, oh, it typically like, it looks like this and it was sold to this place on this date. 
And if you want a paper copy, they'll send you that for free, or at least they, they had a, a couple of years ago. And they're just super supportive. And then it, what's more, if you want something even more like a certificate of authenticity, uh, authenticity, you can send them your watch to Switzerland mm. and they'll like look at it and then give you a, a bigger piece of paper, which I've done. I put a copy in the book. It takes a long time and it costs money. And yeah. I, I don't think I got that much more information. So I, I, I'd stick with the free one probably. But, That's really neat. And so like, do they have information in their archives going as far back as when you have like these deck watches in service? I mean, obviously definitely. you had one in the, uh, you had one in, in the book, obviously. Is that typical though? That they would like, did the, did the, I guess, did the extract reflect uh, a lot of what you sort of thought or what you already knew about the watches, about like kind of their journey and how they ended up with the Marine Nationals that say on the extract, like sold from Switzerland, arrived in France, military base, like what does it tell you? Yeah, they're they're not that detailed, unfortunately, okay. <laughs> but, but it gives me like, it, it confirms the serial number, the it kind of what it is. So this particular one, it says, you know, open face pocket watch in metal. Okay, great, right? You know, be problem if it, it was like a wrist watch and I'm holding right. a pocket watch, good to know. Um, and then it describes the caliber and then the date that it was actually invoiced uh, to and to where they sold it. So for a lot of the Longines ones, they don't say sold to the French Navy. It says sold to our subsidiary in France, right? Nice. Which is some local provider that probably dealt directly with the MN. In one case, though, when I asked for the certificate of authenticity, that one actually further described the engraving on back. And it said you know, MN, which is for Marine Nationale. So that was about the closest I got that they're like, yeah, we know this is MN, right? And so, so. Were, were those engravings on the back that were done by these watches that were issued to the Marine Nationale, were those done by the Marine Nationale or was that done by the retailer before it was sold to them at their request? It, yeah. So for the Longines ones, it's it's unclear. Um, I, I, so I, I don't know. I could see just, I don't know. I feel like these older ones, I feel like I could just see it happening more at the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know why. I just like, Hey, we're doing a specific order. Like the, you know, when I'm all engraved, like, sure. Okay, great. Um, but for like the tutors, uh, you see a variety of engraving styles, fonts, depth, like style, different tools. And the lore, nobody knows for sure, but it was that these were the engraving part was typically done at the local bases. That, okay. like, the, you know, I read one post saying they took it to the local key maker or something, <laughs> you know, the guy who engraves, you know, like things remembered or whatever, just like, mm -hmm. Hey, could you throw this watch on your engraving? Sure. You know? Mm. Um, and so you see like a variety. And, and so that's also one of the things is like, when you're collecting these military watches, whether it's French Navy or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of the advice I give is be a sheep. Like you want to stick with the herd. Like mm -hmm. you want your engraving to look like the 10 other examples. Like you, you right. look, I, if, if there's some weirdo example, like one off, like I'm going to be at the front of the line to buy that thing. Right. Okay. But I'm also going in knowing that this thing could be like just made up. Right. Like you have mm -hmm. to, bring all those contextual clues. Um, but for, if you're just getting into this and whatnot, like you want to probably start with like stick with the pack and, 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 and go with one that kind of checks all the boxes of a mm -hmm. typical canonical example. 
Right. So sort of like look at those like uh, intersecting data points you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. and sort of make an informed decision based on what you've seen sort of across all the all the data in its totality over the last few years. That makes a lot Definitely. of sense. So, you know, the other part that's a really significant part of, uh, you know, Marine National history and, and specifically with Tudors, but with other watches, too, is the Marine National strap. Yeah. So yeah. let's I mean, I I. I I think you had a little bit in the book that kind of touched on that and a little bit of the history of that, but like, you know, there's so many people that are out there now that are selling their version of it and they all kind of tell like a slightly little bit different story. So like, what is the definitive story with these straps and why are they so, I think like iconic and so desired now with, uh, with, with, with collectors right and 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 are there a lot of those straps out there and are they easier to find and easier to get than per se you know the watches themselves yeah uh great interesting topic to talk about and i'll share like as i know it right sure. I, I don't know the ac actual story for sure but um what's cool is like in the collecting community is that straps are a thing now mm -hmm. like not just like new straps but like collecting straps mm -hmm. like i didn't even know that i thought i was pretty nerdy about this stuff but they're like people who are like forget the watch like this is an original you know issued g10 like right nato strap and like oh you can tell because of it i'm like wow that's awesome and they're like you know and i, I kind of love that mm -hmm. piece and if it comes with the watch great but there, there's like a whole like sub community <laughs> just on mm -hmm. nato straps and like I, I i happened to pick up a uh ben russ uh type one uh, issued to the u.s navy and i and i was like it came with a strap like I, i'm not sure is this real or not again just turn to the community and right away i'm like yes that's that's a legit one or you know nice. so so the community's been so great but you know in the book i, I just kind of laid out a smattering of some straps that I'd accumulate but the 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 canonical mn strap is like these green ones here and this one in particular is from uh ndc straps but um this the story with these is that the it's like a stretchy green material with like a an elastic material with like a often like a yellow or a red center line thread through the middle and these were like it would come from parachute gear like uh it was just part of the back backpack or some of the straps that you would put on as part of parachuting and at some point along the way, these divers realized like, hey, this would make a great watch strap because it's 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 just like easy to slip on because uh, a lot of these watches, they weren't issued, like the Tudors, for example, this watch, this mm -hmm. Tudor MN77, if you look at the case back on the back of the lugs, there's no markings from any bracelet because it's never been mounted on a bracelet. Mm -hmm. They were issued on straps. Mm -hmm. My guess is they were probably issued on Perlon, those woven uh, perlon nylon straps uh, right. which are kind of cool uh, but they were never issued on a bracelet so but even with those perlon straps it's like you know it takes time you've got to adjust it and whatnot and then as you're diving i i know you're you're kind of getting into diving I, i'm i'm just a desk diver but like i i think it's valuable if like you're you can adjust the the strap right because right there's something going on yeah well there's like as you go as you go further down like your wrist can start to compress and things like that as well so and then there's also the like if you're putting it over a wetsuit it's easier yep. to be able to kind of extend it over a wetsuit so there's a few different kind of reasons why it's nice to have a little bit of like uh you know on the fly sizeability uh with them but i mean like 
you have to be going down pretty far, I think, for your wrist to compress enough that, okay. like, you know, your wrist is going to get super, your, your watch is going to get super loose and fall off or anything like that. That's like with like um, Seiko's and like Citizens, where they have sort of those ripply, those yeah, ripply yeah. rubber bands. That's because those actually are meant to expand and contract as your wrist okay. expands and, and contracts. So if I if I'm if I remember correctly, like when you put it on over your wetsuit, you're actually meant to over tighten it. Because then as you go down and your wrist compresses, the spring, the springiness in the rubber will actually start to go back into its proper shape and uh, maintain the tension on your wrist. So it's kind of an okay. interesting little thought yeah. with that. And then with regards to what they're doing, like, yeah, they probably would make the straps then I'd imagine a little bit on the tight side so yeah. that, you know, when they put it on over a strap or over a wetsuit or just on their wrist, you know, I mean, combat divers, they can go quite deep sometimes, especially if they're doing like the UDT stuff and things like that. So it would make sense that they would want it to be a little over tight so that when their wrist compresses the elasticity, the elasticity in that, in that strap would then continue to keep it affixed to their wrist properly. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think that that probably added to just also super convenient just to be able to slip mm -hmm. on a strap. And that's why you see a lot of like, kind of like, at least when I was growing up, like old guy watches, like so they'd have the stretchy, yeah, you just sl slip the, on. The right? Expando straps. Expando. Yeah. 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 Um, and it, it, they pull your hair off to off your wrist. Right. So, uh, but th this is an example of some of that material. It's like stretchy, right. Mm -hmm. And it'd be maybe for a strap around your waist or something like that. And so somebody at some point said, Hey, you know, that make a cool watch strap. When I put that in a loop and I can just slip this on and off. Right. And uh, I think that's where it started. It, and actually like, probably 2012, 2013, like at some point I saw a picture, uh, maybe from Tudor or somebody of having one of these straps. I'm like, that's cool. But there really wasn't a lot known about these straps. Mm -hmm. And I looked super hard and I did find uh, some like kind of army Navy surplus out of France selling just these simple looped bands. And I got one to try it out. And it just wasn't the right size. So it wasn't right. And then at some point, um, NDC straps uh, started like getting like I think they got access to this strap material like mm -hmm. either I, I think I believe that they may have started with taking apart old like vintage parachute gear and then kind of uh, like creating fashioning these straps from the actual parachute gear and then as time went on and these became more popular like people would actually like get access to the supplier, the raw material itself. Mm. And then that started down uh, this path. And so there, as you mentioned, there's, um, there's a lot of these straps available now. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a fan of, of many of them, right. Mm -hmm. And there's the OG one. Awesome. I love the, the, like kind of um, the originality aspect of that, but then, there's some that are made in like neon colors or just whatever. And they're, they're fun to wear. And so um, it, it's, it's been cool to see just people being creative in that space. When you handle those straps though, like some of the original ones per se, like, are they something that feels like this was something a soldier made themselves? Or is this something that um, like at a certain point, the Marine National recognized that guys were doing this enough and started manufacturing them like more professionally? Like, are they all sort of like a field craft type thing? Yeah. Or is this something that's actually like a professionally made piece of kit? I, I would I would guess that they're mostly field field made. The, the ones I have were, were probably not like from a diver. They were mm -hmm. more like, you know, later somebody clipped this material from it and just started selling the strap. So I think if you have one of those original ones, you're, you know, from 
from the diver, that that would be pretty special. Yeah, right? uh, really but cool. I, you know, I, I think those are again like one. That's the type of provenance that would come from like the original owner. You get the story, and that's mm-hmm. I I don't have one of those yet, but I've always wanted to get one of those watches from the original diver. And then they write up a little story and some pictures of when they were in the service. Like that would be really cool. Have you, and I know you haven't had a chance to let your hands on one of their watches per se, but have you had a chance to talk to any of the original divers and really hear a story from them at all? Unfortunately, I haven't. Um, And it's like, there's got to be such a rich history there. And I think a lot of these, they're, they're probably speak French. All right. And they're, um, you know, they're kind of like, you got to know and trust the, the, person you're talking to and so unfortunately i haven't but i'm, I'm excited for those stories to be on earth someday absolutely that sounds like it'd be an absolutely incredible opportunity to get especially because you know a lot of these guys are getting up there in age now right they're not going to be around forever i mean some of the guys that were doing it in the 80s yeah I mean, they're, they're not exactly dinosaurs but i mean the guys that are you know were doing this originally in the, in the early 70s or the late 60s like they're you know they're assuming they're 20 30 years old at that time they're getting up there. Right. So yeah. someone, it'd be great if someone could like capture their stories and sort of, you know, immortalize those at least for a few of them. Right. I think that'd be really, really cool to see happen. Definitely. With regards to your writing and your books, what's coming next? Uh, so uh, right now, I, so during the pandemic, I took a bunch of pictures for uh, an upcoming type 20 book, right. type 20 chronograph. So like the, the type 20, I think everybody's really familiar with like the, brigade like type mm-hmm. xx or type 20 it's a chronograph spec that the french uh, military put out there and said hey we need you know the spec of chronograph and a few manufacturers responded to that call aracost uh, um brigade uh Arain, Mixa, I think Arain, so. yeah. right um there, there's a number and and they're pretty cool they each vary a little bit in their own way right mm-hmm. and and so I have a friend of mine who has like a, a, a good number of them. And then I have a few myself. And so I've done the photography on that, but got to find the time to write. So. Oh, that's wonderful. And when do you think you'd be looking at potentially a release on that? I can't put a date on it. I was supposed to be done and <laughs> out a couple of years ago. So fair enough. Right. Okay. So well, uh, every time I say a date, it just gets longer. So it's a labor of love, right? Labor yes. of love. Can't can't rush perfection, right? So that's that's, right. that's really really cool. That's awesome. Something to look forward to. My understanding is you have sort of a uh, a collection of pieces there as well too that are some pretty special watches. Do you mind kind of walking us through them and telling us a little bit about them? Sure. Yeah. Um, since we're on the MN topic, we'll just kind of continue there. Uh, we, we talked about this MN 77, which yes. is my first one. Yeah. Uh, I think the, uh, the next one I'll, I'll show here is it's a really cool watch. This is a Triton Spiro mm. technique, uh, old school sixties divers watch. A lot mm. of weird stuff going on here, right? It's got a crown at 12. It's got a, a, like a hinge mm-hmm. right on the strap to help get it really close and tight and then this one has an engraving a super cool diver dude on the back it's the spiro technique logo mm-hmm. uh spiro technique was like a brand associated with a lot of divers back you know even today probably and it's got an issue number on it and this one has an engraving on the inside from the french navy watchmaker okay and uh this one was um issued to uh a submarine supply vessel called the Rin. And so uh, it's nice to know that little bit of extra history. And this one's got a cool story with it 
particular, it's maybe hard to see in the camera here, but if you notice, it's actually got a Rolex crown on it. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah, the original crown would have been one called a Parmentier style crown, which is like a two piece crown. It's got the cap that's totally independent. Like it has just come off. It's not attached to the watch once you unscrew it. And then you pull up a little crown, do your thing and put the cap back on. Well, not surprising, those caps could get lost pretty mm -hmm. easily. And these divers were like beating the heck out of this stuff. So these caps would often disappear. There's a pretty common replacement for the Marine Nationale to put a Rolex crown on these. And the uh, the copy of the register I have actually notes the service that was done where that was swapped out. So um, it's kind of a nice little detail on that. So one. with a piece like that, like it doesn't necessarily indicate anywhere on the watch, uh, on the exterior, that it was a Marine National watch. So how did you come across that piece? And like, you know, for you, like, is it really just you open up the case back and then you get to see the oh, markings yeah. on the inside? Or like, do you just get like, did you just have a hunch based on the crown or like, how do you come across, like, how do you associate that with the Marine National just when you're hunting for a watch like that, for example? Yeah. This particular one was posted on Instagram and by one of the, the, the guys who has a copy of the register. Okay. And I asked him about it and he said, Hey, it's for sale. And nice. so he already kind of knew all this history. Um, but but it armed with the knowledge, you can actually piece that together. So one of the watches I talked about in the book actually has a sterile case back, mm. meaning there's no no engravings on the back. But it was posted on Instagram as Marine Nationale. And I asked the guy, I'm like, how do you know it's Marine Nationale? He's like, oh, the guy I bought it from told me. I'm like, okay. I said, can I see the serial number and the inside of the case back? And with those two things, I noticed on the inside of the case back had the engraving or the inscription and I was able to get a copy of the register and it matched that up. But a lot of times when these left the military, it's unclear under what circumstances they left. And so mm -hmm. it wouldn't be uncommon for somebody to polish away the military engraving on the back to, to kind of hide the origin a little bit. Well, my thought with a piece like that is almost, you know, there's, there's, yeah, chances are it could have been polished away. But for example, if it was never put on the watch, you know, if you were someone who was trying to sell that watch, and maybe wanted to maximize profits, what would stop someone, for example, who say like, okay, it's got the interior engravings on the case back, you know, we've matched the serial number, I'm going to add the Marine Nationale and then the year or whatever onto the back, because that's going to increase my profits. And now you're sort of starting to mess with the history of the piece, right? Definitely. I mean, for, to prevent against something like that, or at least the best you could do would be like one, look at the engraving. Yeah. Right. Um, and if it doesn't have an agreement, be super suspect. Like, what's mm -hmm. going on here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, again, be a sheet. Look mm -hmm. like all the others, right? You don't, mm -hmm. like, leave the exceptional ones to, to other people. Mm -hmm. uh, so the engraving, you can really look in there. And then you will find examples somewhere on a panograph where there's, like, these super small circles. Right. Done, right? Others are stamped. Like, just, you definitely want to know. Compare the size. Like, mm -hmm. really ask people, you know, uh, check it out. The serial number, you'd also have to, like, the serial number is very useful. It's like if that serial number is in the inscription on in the back, the inscription has a date. Mm -hmm. So you can say, Hey, look up on you know, June of 1991. Like, is this one on there? Cause it should be. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, that could be interesting. So what's going on there. Right? Well, and pieces like that, for example, that maybe don't have that like typical look with the engraving on the back. That's something yeah. you've documented then as well. You've documented that piece. So now it's like, okay, we know that serial number doesn't have an engraving on the back so it's a documented watch for but but potentially there could be you know hundreds or dozens out there that 
aren't documented that don't have the case back and or don't case back engraving and maybe even the owner that has that watch doesn't even know it's a marine national watch that's, right that's right uh, so so for this one so you're right so like the tutors they would say mn mm -hmm. on the back so great you know the the triton was kind of before they started doing that for whatever reason okay. they didn't stamp mn so you just know but triton spirit techniques themselves are fairly fairly rare there's not mm -hmm. that many of them but they were certainly sold to civilians and 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 some french navy picks them up so the only way they know that this one was actually french navy issued would be by that small inscription on the inside of the case back right and then connecting that to the register nice and um what's cool about that one is that um uh, like it actually uh 67 so I got a picture of the boat it was issued to hanging out in Bora Bora of all places. Right. So this nice. is the boat. And that's kind of like you get to see the boat somewhere in this picture. The watch is sitting in there. That's I don't cool. know where, but you know, that kind of thing. And then what was uh, extra cool was that uh, one of later, I was able to obtain a watch that was issued to a submarine. And um, so it's a Tudor sub issued mm. to this submarine called mm. La Praia. And this boat in the back that it's kind of meeting up with is the boat with the rent. So in this picture, two of the watches that are in my collection are somewhere in this picture. That's <laughs> super neat. So it's wow. kind of like, it's the extra things you can bring as a collector uh, that just make it more fun. Yeah. Oh, of course you're, you're uh, like, you're, it's usually like, you're just having like a piece of history and you're having like these points where like history is intersecting within your own collection. Right. And it's so, Oh, that's, that's neat. Being able to like it's have that picture, that and be like, you know, somewhere in that photo, both these watches are hanging out and that's, yeah. pretty, that's wicked. Yep. That's really, really wicked. Uh, so I'll show you just a, a couple more here. Sure. Um, so this is a pretty unusual watch. This is an Omega Seamaster. Uh, they call it the Sham. Yes. Uh, and many people are familiar with the Sham because through the so-called watch co versions of the Sham, which is watch goes a distributor in Australia has a bunch of Rolex parts and was able to kind of um, piece together and create Shams from the parts they had they typically come with the metals like shark mesh bracelet really cool looking watch yeah they did um, like um the, the seamaster 300 as well too like all, all the old omega parts like they, they have a couple that they've done like dates no dates the Sham. so out of all these old omega parts if they did do plopros as well too uh i don't know but yeah. but uh it's this is like the uh, this is like an original the one original, so like yeah. civilian or issued they're just it's hard to find original right. ones and like i had heard about this watch and i got this one from a dealer um uh classic watch uh dc on instagram i think it's classicwatch.com uh, a guy named Zaf Basha, who is kind of in the community as a military watch dealer. Mm. And um, he was able to get one of these for me. And this one comes with the um, government auction receipt. Nice. It's got a cool engraving on the back. It's, it's going to be hard to get the strap off. But I think it's a it's a really cool one to to show here. Page 155. Um, but the, the Sham was like their... Sham stands for Service Hydrographique at Oceanographique de la Marine. So horrible French pronunciation, but it's basically like the hydrographic survey. It's like the 
the mapping division, right? Sure. And on the back is this is the engraving it's got mm. here, the Sham along with the an issue number. And you just I've only seen like two or three others, mm. and the engravings on those other two um, were were a little bit different too. So oh, okay. just a kind of an oddball, but it's like this is a beast of a watch. Mm -hmm. I mean, check out the the edges on this thing. It's yeah, just like it's huge on the wrist. Doesn't look like it's been polished. Like it's really, really no, it's, it's super sharp case. Yeah. And it's got this really meaty crown that you mm -hmm. can grab. You know, a lot of times they make a, a lot about like you've got, you know, it's cold, you're a diver, you got, you know, big crown. So that's that's fun. A uh, little bit later, uh, this is a cool one. This is a, another Aracos Spiro technique. Um, this one has a cool little diver down there about. That's like an old um, uh, Squale case, right? It is. Yeah, nice. it's a tag made a version of this. Really cool. It's a, it's a great watch. And the thing I love about it is like, as far as I know, only watch issued to the Marine Nationale in a Jubilee. Right. And like Jubilee bracelets, like they're an acquired taste, but it, I, I love them. That's they really fit nice. really well. Got a little bit of extra fling. That so. vintage jangle too. That's right. Totally. Yes, that's really cool. Um, this one came with some decommissioned papers and it was issued uh, uh, to base uh in breast um and it was pretty it's pretty sharp so i mean i think it was just stuck on the shelf i don't think this one was actually used and then they cleared them out after a few years mm. uh but it, it's it's a fun one uh next up this is my uh most recent uh addition this is a uh, an aqua star benthos 2 oh, this is a very this is a pretty unusual watch in its own right and this is issued to the French Navy. That dial is oh. very interesting. It almost looks a little like uh, Breitling-esque. There's a lot going on on this yeah. dial relatively. It's got, you know, the, the, the 1 through 12, and then it's also got 13 through 24. Mm -hmm. um, the case is, this is a, like, there's no big MN engraving on the back. It's just a little simple serial number. Mm -hmm. it, it won't show up in the camera here. But this case is it's a uniblock case so like the case back doesn't come off there this it's actually just a solid case and so you need to to service it and this is a quartz you've got to take it off from the top so it's all front loaded That's yeah super it's all neat. front loaded right but it also adds that extra bit of like deep diving so this is like a thousand meter watch right wow. and this one was issued to the gismer or mm -hmm. uh which is a deep sea intervention unit of the french navy so uh you'd mentioned Gizmer being as like a like deep sea intervention unit. Like what is that? What what would that what, that sounds like some Navy SEAL stuff? Is that what it yeah. is? Or what is that? What is deep sea intervention? Yeah, best best I can tell, if you get stuck in a submarine on the bottom of the ocean, these are the guys that are gonna come and get you bail you out. Nice. Right. They've got a cool little like yellow submarine, like uh the, you know, kind of right like a rescue submarine. Like I imagine like if you've seen the hunt for red October, there's mm -hmm. like the forget the name of it right now i love that movie but like the, the little submarine that that goes and rescues and they transfers the crew like that's what this they have one of those submarines wow. but they also are kind of like a little bit of a deep sea research kind of division and so they the gizmer is partnered with comex which is another famous diving like kind of company and uh, to do like these super deep dives, uh, you know, for saturation diving and whatnot. So like that's a lot of times there'll be a French Navy like attache a part. It's part of that, you know, whatever the Hydra six or whatever, like that person's probably in Gizmer. 
that makes that's really interesting. I imagine there's not like you know submarines needing to be rescued every day, so I, I suppose they need to have some other way of staying busy, which makes a lot of sense. And yeah, that's super neat that they're uh, able to kind of like do that like civilian adjacent work while also being like a designated uh military unit. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's cool just to to learn even about that, and so that's a lot of these watches like was was there's the watch itself, and I try to give like just like what it's like to hold it and just observe it. And then something about the unit. And mm -hmm. uh, even though just trying to fill in the gaps best I could. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that's cool about this, this watch was that uh, when I found it, and this was actually on eBay, uh, it, it was missing its bezel. Mm -hmm. And the bezel on this is a very unique bezel. Like you just like hen's teeth and then some like very hard to find. But I'm like, I, I've never seen one of these actually in the book. I talk about all the brands I've, I've seen mentioned in the register. But at the time I wrote the book, I'd never seen even what the Aquastar version of the Marine National Watch looked like. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even sure which model. Mm -hmm. Turns out it's one of these, the, the Benthos 2. So I found this one. I bought it on eBay, no bezel. And so I just put out to the community, does anybody have one of these? And people are like, yeah, good luck. You know, <laughs> you're never going to find one, right? You know, I mean, but, you know, uh, so I put an eBay alert. In a few months, a guy had two of these, two bezels, Damn. brand new, new old stock. And so, you know, that's the thing is like, if you're looking for a weird part, you may not have it right away, but just put it out there and you'll find it. Like it's, it's, it's awesome to see what, what things will pop up. You so. picked up both, I'm guessing off of eBay. Yes. Uh, yes. Cause I, I did buy a civilian one. Uh, it's a, cause they were just such cool watches. Right. Mm. Uh, so Definitely, he actually has more. So if anybody's looking for one, Dude, but it's, dude's it's got like, like this. A whole, he's got like the whole supply of them. He did. I mean, they're actually really neat, like looking bezel because yeah. it's got this extra little notch in it. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, Dr. Peter Miller. I don't know if he's been on your show. He's a Doxa guy. Right? It's funny, actually. So he's yeah. been on my show, and I have a phone call with him right after we're done yeah. recording this. <laughs> great, great dude. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is in his book. And actually, uh, there's a, an old movie, Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. And uh, Jack Russell, right? We're I forget Jack Kurt well, Russell. They, well, Kurt Russell, but the, in the in the movie, I, I I conflated the two. But Kurt Russell in in the movie is wearing this watch, or not that's this exact one, but this style. Neat. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Bento sighting. Uh, hey? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I wouldn't have known without Dr. Peter Miller. So, um, and then to wrap up the okay, Marine National, just two two more ones. Um, this is another one of those just rare watches called Elvia. It's a quartz watch in a familiar Monin case. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of French divers from that period with a cool kind of plexiglass or um, acrylic bezel uh, on it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, just again, cool watches, but this is one that like, it was like a deep cut mentioned in the register, but I had never seen it before. And then it popped up uh, a few years later. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and then the last of the Marine National that I'll share today is, is a Casio. This is a DW9000. And these are just cool watches, yeah. shocks. I mean, they're you know, very affordable and they're super reliable. And so the military, a lot of militaries will use them. Uh, this one was issued to a commando unit. A lot of the, the distinctive characteristics uh, on this are that this one, somebody happened to put a little commando pin on it now who knows you could just throw that on there but i thought that was kind of cool um but it's got an engraving on the bottom here it says tn 1998 
Tien is for Toulon, the, the French Navy base there. And so it's got a little kind of laser etching on it. Uh, so, and, and there are dealers that, that kind of regularly have access to Marine National watches. So those are all, that's really neat. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it, you can see even just some of the cool features on that watch specifically, like sort of like the little, um, like guards on the side that keep it on positioned on your wrist. I'm assuming oh, yeah. over a wetsuit or whatever, like, I mean, this is a civilian watch in all mm. other respects, but, but like, as far as civilian watch, they're, they're old now. They're, these are mm -hmm. 20 plus years old. And so like, actually, you know, it's not common that like this will break off this, mm -hmm. the, the plastic gets brittle and, or, you know, maybe missing this piece. And, um, and, and like, these would just be disposed typically by mm -hmm. the, the French Navy. In fact, one of the, the dealers I bought one of these from, I said, like, where'd you get this? Right. And he's like, well, let's just say, I know a guy who takes the trash out for the French Navy. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that'll do so, it so and and actually like one of those watches i put in there was just like totally trashed you know watch of just some of these just get so beat up right so um anyway so that that's uh that was just a smattering of some of the uh the mn watches um uh, what about a few just, others yeah what about just in your general collection like cool pieces you picked up over time yeah um so obviously zrc was like a uh kind of a next kind of thing that I started to to focus on it. And here's just one example of just, just a very unique design language mm. for ZRC that you just don't see seventies mm. vibe, but, but it's own thing. It's got a crown at a weird position here on the dial. It's got the day of the week along with it, the date um, for kind of a blue dial and this kind of cool kind of, concave is it, is it a co coke insert on it as well kind of yeah yeah, yeah uh, but it's all and it's also got this really this unique drc bracelet where it's got springs in the bracelet itself nice. to kind of expand uh just really cool like very quirky you don't see too many of them they're fun mm -hmm. uh, after that i would say i've kind of got two other like side hustle passions in the collection if you will sure um I think uh, the first one is Eberhard. So Eberhard is a is a brand that's kind of it's it's more well known these days, but um, it was a brand uh, that was really popular for whatever reason in Italy. It was mm -hmm. you know a Swiss brand, but it was sold in Italy um, in a few spots around the globe, but not as wide distribution as Rolex or Omega or something like that. But they had really cool dive watches. And, and this is one of them. It's called the Scaphograph 100. Wow. Um, very cool, like, uh, you know, bezel with like triangles and circles. It's a smaller watch, about 35 millimeters, no bezel, mm. but uh, very, very kind of just cool looking watch. Lots of patina on it. Very like Omega-esque uh, with like the case and the bracelet and whatnot. And you know, the, dial, the dial is very like iconically Everhart though. Yeah, very much so. And and it's a stretchy bracelet. Um, so, you know, not much stretch, but very Omega-like. Mm -hmm. And this bracelet was probably made by Gay Ferris, which made a lot of bracelets at the time. Mm -hmm. um, Everhard has a lot of cool watches in their collection. And they were like, for the most part, they're all good size for the period. Like they yeah. hold up to modern sizes, you know, not uncommon for it to be 38 plus. Mm -hmm. uh, this is uh, one, one of their chronographs called the Contograph. Um, it's a black gilt dial. Uh, it's, it's not coming in great in there, but just really wow. cool kind of 
Daytona-like vibes on it, mm. but it also got like this really cool case. See that profile there? Mm-hmm. It's just like, I don't know. I just really love it. Stretchy bracelet too. What's that little yeah. dimple on like the nine o'clock position? Yeah, there? good question. So that advances the date. The date is at six o'clock. By pushing this, it's it's so satisfying to push it. You get just like, and you get this nice satisfying click. Um, and it's got a chronograph on it too. And um, it's a really cool bezel with a little bit of a red insert there. I've never seen one of those before. That's really, really cool. It's a really neat model. Thank you. It's a very, very fun watch and cool ads from the period too. Mm. Um, just like racing. And it was uh, very fun. Mm. Um, and then the, uh, where my heart is right now, I just like eat, sleep, breathe, dream Contiki. For whatever reason, Eterna Contiki has really just grabbed my my heart. Yeah. And and it started for me when uh, a few years back, I was in uh, Tokyo, which I don't know if you've ever been, but amazing city. Uh, just, I mean, really cool. Like whatever collect, whatever, whatever type of thing you collect, there's your people are there. Wow. Right. And, and there's, there's, I mean, at least in cars, like, you know, there's always magazines and whatnot. They have the best magazines. I can, I can't read them, but like the pictures are incredible and whatnot. Um, anyway, I was in, uh, uh, Ralph Lauren, uh, in Tokyo, just looking at some stuff, some double RL and like cool clothes, stuff like that. And they had, it's kind of like their flagship boutique. And so they have a couple of like one-off vintage items, uh, like, and, I turned a corner and there's like a, a few watches in this display case, along with some cool, like uh, turquoise, like you know, rings and stuff like that. But there's this watch and I'm like, what the heck is that? Like, I wasn't expecting to find a vintage watch in Ralph Lauren. And there's this beautiful Contiki diver. Oh, wow. I mean, this thing is in amazing condition. And yes. at the time I like, I'd heard of Eterna. I'm not even sure I'd heard of Contiki, but as soon as I got my hands out, I was like, this is something special. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I need to do, do this. And um, so picked it up and I just, I just, I was really hooked. Uh, again, like we've talked about once you put in that investment of learning everything you can about that brand or that model, I kind of want to continue to deploy that, <laughs> to pick up the next thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing about uh, Eterna Contiki's is that, well, first of all, the, the Contiki line was named after uh, Thor Heyerdahl's raft. Thor mm-hmm. Heyerdahl in the 40s tried, had a theory that the um, Polynesian islands were peopled from South America by people taking uh, rafts across. And I don't know if that theory held up or not, but he made it on the raft and supposedly he had an Eterna on his wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just some controversy around around that, but it just adds to the the fun. Uh, but anyway, Eterna picked up on that and they're like, all right, we're launching the Contiki line. And these watches typically would have this really cool engraving on the back. So, so it's going to be hard to see, but there's an engraving of a raft here, the Contiki raft. Nice. Yes. Um, and that's kind of like their nod to them. And they, I think all that just came together and hooked me. Like, I love a good raft story, you know, and uh, uh, and the book's pretty, pretty interesting too. Um, mm. the original Contiki book. Uh but that kicked me down a path of Contiki's and uh, we talked about in the opening, this was a, a Contiki as well. Um, they have probably their best known models, the super Contiki. Right. Which is really like kind of 
kind of thick case, kind of a, a good size is probably 40 ish. Um, this one also has a really interesting bezel mm -hmm. on it. You can see how it counts down here. It's got 200. What this is, is a no decompression bezel and Doxa, uh, you know, has pioneered that mm -hmm. basically this was in feet. So yeah, this kind of like a dive table on the bezel. So you're, you're, you're more of a diver than I am, but you know, keep me honest. But my sense was that it was like, if you were going to go down to 200 feet, you, you'd adjust that and it would be, you have about five minutes that you could stay down at 200 feet before you could rise without having to take decompression stops. My sense is that dive tables have advanced since then. And this is like, be like one of the worst ways probably. To... <laughs> yes. No, I gen generally speaking now, everyone wears a dive computer and the computer just tells you, usually you can set the margins as well, but generally more on the more conservative side of like when you need to start heading up and how long you got to stay there for and how long you can be at certain depths. I would say like, I mean, when it's like, you know, the 1960s and that's all you have or, or that, or like they would have like laminated like tables that they would have yeah. to like read under the water and stuff like that. You know, um, you got to make do with what you got. But I think like, you know, I probably would rely on like a computer and then maybe have like something like that as a backup. But it's super cool that they like, addressed that issue and did it in a different way. Because I mean, a lot of brands didn't necessarily have uh, decompression tables uh, on their watches at all right i mean you had doxa you had i think jenny the jenny company yeah. did that yeah. which i guess they made Very a lot busy of guy. right yes yeah. but which is almost like too much to try and read and then you had you had a turner that was taking their approach to it as well too which is really really neat i'm not i'm trying to think about like how you would do it without having like the inner like like uh timing section of it as well too you'd have to just be like focusing on reading the time exclusively from the dial without the assistance of a timing bezel but that's still like a super neat it's, and it's something you don't see them do a lot uh, anymore either i think they still make basically like their modern version with that bezel if you want to get that but it's uh you don't see a lot of other companies doing it which i think is you know, a shame because it's a really cool piece of diving heritage yeah i mean it's it's just one of those fun details on vintage and mm -hmm. it, again this model has a few extra little cherries on top like the plexiglass has an embedded eternal logo on it nice. like some of the o omega speedmasters have yes. that right the crown is brounded so it's, it's not going to get picked up but it's got the eternal logo on it nice. and of course the back's got this uh, iconic it contiki raft in gold plated so nice. a lot of times you'll find these contikis on ebay where somebody like pried off the mm. the, the the gold medallion and melted that down right mm -hmm. so wow uh, but that that's a fun one and then uh to to close it out is uh another uh burke's eterna that i found this one's a um a solid gold uh, Contiki, uh, which, uh, you know, gold wasn't, wasn't really my thing for a long time, but I think as I get older and it's got Contiki on the dial, like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I can pull this off. And especially with the strap. Um, it's a cool strap that was, uh, made by a guy, um, I'll have to look up in the show notes, but, um, anyway, this one was also sold in Canada because it says Burks on the dial. Mm. Yeah but it's heavy because it's a solid gold one. That, that's kind of fun too. Well, and as, and as a gold watch, like that's a really nice model to have because of how nicely contoured the case is and some of the fastening oh, yeah. on it. Like there's some gold watches that are like, particularly from that era where it's just basically like a round disc with like little stick lugs on it basically. Yeah. And that's what you get. But to have something that's a little bit more substantial and contoured, like 
that's a cool dress watch to have, right? That's a good point. I didn't I didn't really appreciate that, but you're absolutely right. And this one, the case is in in pretty good shape. And mm -hmm. being a gold watch, you know, this one was well taken care of. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I'll just just for completeness, I'll show the the back of this watch that had that engraving from the Moose Jaw folks uh, on the back. But that's so nice. See that? I mean, it's just a pristine case back. Uh, but the outside's kind of beaten, so mm -hmm. so so I would guess that this that that meant he just wore this thing all the time. Yeah, right. Uh, which was great, you know, that it was actually used as intended. Ah, that's really cool. And again, it kind of brought us full circle with the Moose Jaw watch again, right? Yeah. From where we started to where that's we are right. now, and you know, it's been so incredible learning about you know the Marine Nationale, learning about yourself, your passion for for these watches and history and, and the incredible job you're doing writing these books. Like honestly, like I, I would highly encourage anybody listening to this to go and, and pick up at least one of your books. I, you know, I, I can honestly say like I've read a lot of watch books and I, I have like a huge stack of them just in my office here. It's probably got to be 25 books. And this is by far the one I've enjoyed reading the most just because of the oh, way that you. you get to follow your story uh, and sort of you know experience it as like you're discovering more and enjoying it it's the way you've written it like it's just the way you've written it is it's not just a reference material it's really like we're seeing it through your eyes as you're discovering more and you 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 could tell it was sort of something that you added to as you were writing it so it's like you know hey i found this out today and yeah it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's so it's so cool and refreshing to to be able to follow along with that so i mean honestly a, a tremendous book you know, any of your resources, I highly suggest someone goes out and, and picks up a copy of, I think it's a must have for any collection. So I think that'd be, that'd be terrific. One, uh, absolutely. And, and I mean it, I truly mean it. I really, really enjoyed that book. And I, I know I'm going to enjoy it for a long time uh, going forward as well too. But uh, this is featured in your book as well, uh, but it's not so much watch related anymore, but I think it's a nice little topic to kind of close us out on. Cause you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a Porsche guy. You're a bit of a Porsche guy, from my understanding, and you yeah. talk about sort of, you know, uh, a, a little bit of a journey you went on with a specific uh, Porsche 912 that uh, that you you have now. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit? Can you tell us a little bit about about that story? You know, separate from all the watch stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to find a, a like picture of it, but uh... it was in like the first little bit of the book. Like it was pretty early on in the book, if I recall. I came across it. Hold on, I might have had the book back. Oh, here it is. I got it. Page uh, 73. Uh, 70, um, yeah, 72. So this is pages. a cool. So this yes. is a, a photo of it's a 1967 uh, Porsche 912 mm -hmm. uh, uh, repainted in its original Aga blue color. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny. It's This book is about Marine Nationale, right? But I was actually talking about, with my mom a little bit about the, the watch. I'm like, I kind of want to put the Porsche in there. Just just because it's just to add a little bit more of just like, Hey, maybe you like this too. And so I just threw it in and uh, it's been pretty well received. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, people identifying, Oh, I'm into that too. And, uh, but that, that car was like, uh, I, I say it was like to responsibly prepare for my midlife crisis. <laughs> I'm like, you got to get out get ahead of it. Go and go and look for a Porsche. And uh, I, uh, I found one locally and it's kind of a cool like story on that too, which is that it, I guess it had been sitting for like 15 years and like the, you know, just neglected the, the bottom was rusted out. And, uh, 
it was just in bad shape, but there was a, a local place out in Pleasanton, California called Dusty Cars and they picked it up and then kind of restored it, but not not overly so. They just they they kind of re replaced the bottom, um, got it got it back in shape, painted it, and redid the interior and picked it up. And uh actually when I went to go test drive it, like I had never driven a vintage Porsche before. And I was a little bit nervous. I was yeah. a lot nervous driving. I said, I don't want to mess this thing up. And I don't want to look like a fool and a salesman. And I drove it and I really wasn't sure. And so I said, thanks. And then I left and went home. And then I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Uh, so I went back and, and got it. And uh, it, it's just it's just so much fun. Uh, there's something about um, a vintage Porsche that, uh, just kind of makes everybody smile like uh, you know and and uh, I think at first when I got it I was like oh I gotta you know gotta lower it and put on some new you know Fuchs like wheels and stuff like that and I was very fortunate as I think I've been in watch collecting too to have some great mentors mm -hmm. just people who like take me aside and be like hey dude here's what you want to do like mm -hmm. you just want to leave this one alone <laughs> mm -hmm. just just drive it kind of as you've got it it's it's great and that was good advice and so I, I left it as I found it and um, just have a lot of fun driving it um, and then I, I had a little nod to the French Navy I put a little like Toulon logo or a badge on the back grill just to which I think is an awesome like little like it's a little like tasteful touch right, right. It, it makes Thank it you. your it makes it yours without you know destroying the car or anything like that right I mean that's and it's so neat and it's and I love that it's got that like nice rich blue color that kind of matches yeah. the Marine National uh, tutors exactly. as well like there's a lot of that like you know serendipitous coincidental type stuff going on with that that I think you know it's the perfect kind of car for someone who has your passions with the watches as well right so very Thank very you. cool very very cool car very very cool guy very very cool books and watches and all that stuff so just, just absolutely tremendous you know it's scott it's been awesome chatting with you today i've had i've learned so much and it's just been it's been so nice just to hear you talk and see your passion and you know kind of walk me through a lot of what you're about uh in the community if you don't mind uh kind of telling me some of the landing spots where people can uh engage with you, engage with your content, buy a book, which of course I'll include all those links in the description boxes below on YouTube and all the podcast platforms as well. But just from yourself, where, uh, where can people get in touch with you and enjoy some of your, uh, your content materials? Yeah. Thank you, Eric. And first, I just want to say thank you on behalf of the community for all your amazing episodes and your contributions. I've, I've learned so much. Like we were just talking about Periscope's episodes, which mm -hmm. are great. Like uh, James Landon, like just, just so much good stuff. And I haven't even scratched the surface on your extensive catalog of mm. podcasts. So thank you uh, for that. I look forward to, to getting into those. Uh, but yeah, uh, my main outlet is Instagram. So Instagram uh, under Watchistry, W-A-T-C-H-I-S-T-R-Y. And uh, I also, and there you can find links to the book, I also have a YouTube channel that I started up mm -hmm. uh, in the past couple of years, and that's been interesting. It's a different learning curve than, than uh, just Instagram posting a quick photo, uh, but it's also been a fun journey. And um, uh, so, so check that out too. And, uh, and I've got the website, watchestry.com, uh, but Instagram and YouTube are kind of my main focus right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll make sure I drop links to all that in the description box below. Uh, it's, it's been such a pleasure 
chatting with you today, Scott. I, I think that, you know, people have learned so much just from listening to this episode. And, and I, I just can't see how anyone would listen to this and wouldn't want to go get a copy of your book to learn more because there's so much information and detail. And, you know, we touched on a couple of the stories, but there's so many cool stories in this uh in this book to be enjoyed and, and i think it'd be an awesome uh, stocking stuffer slash uh, <laughs> christmas gift for some people slash Thank gift you. slash gift to yourself if you're a watch nerd and right. maybe not supported by the rest of the family in our in our sickness but uh <laughs> likewise for myself if anyone has any questions comments feedback feel free to shoot me an email at ricoswatcherspodcast at gmail.com additionally if you want to follow along with the show sort of at the show's uh, central hub for communication uh Rico's Watches podcast on Instagram. You can also shoot me a DM there anytime. I usually get back to people pretty quickly, or I try to at least. Um, additionally, if you enjoy this episode in an audio medium across the various podcast platforms, but would like to enjoy this episode or any of my backlog in a visual medium, I do have a Rico's Watches podcast YouTube channel as well. Just make sure that you like, subscribe, hit the bell icon, leave a comment, all that YouTube stuff. And do the same for Scott's channel when you go over and head, head over to his and check his out as well too. It uh, all just helps us with the uh, with the algorithm and and all that type of stuff that you know makes the internet a great place for content creators. So, Scott, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I really look forward to the opportunity to perhaps have you on the show again, and we can learn more about uh, you know uh, Type Twenty. So when that book comes all out right. and when that uh, when that's a thing, because I think that'll be a whole other topic we could really dive into and have a lot of fun with uh, exploring and flushing out when the, the time is right. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Eric. All right. You take care, Scott. Bye-bye.